What's going on, everybody? Got a good episode for you this week. Had Steve Shirk back on. We got to talk about a lot of things. We got a lot into talking about trail cameras and kind of the legislation that deals with that. So real interesting stuff that if you don't know about, you should read about and look it up. We also got into what he does out there in Pennsylvania, some of the big woods hunting stuff. So it's a really good episode, as always, with Steve on. I would encourage you guys to go back and check out at least episode number 19 to get some background on Steve. That was the first time we had him on. This will actually be like the fourth time he's been on. So we appreciate him coming back. But before we get into it, guys, don't forget to check out our sponsors. That way you can support them and support us at the same time. If you're looking for your own piece of ground to manage and hunt, Rodney Hawkins is the guy to talk to. He grew up hunting and fishing in southern Illinois, and he's now putting that love for the outdoors into selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. Now, they're not your average real estate company. They sold over $85 million worth of ground last year alone. If they just like Rodney all over Illinois, they're really a local company with a national reach. For more info, you can call him directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. He's also recently started a new company called RG Outdoors. They currently carry hard and soft-sided blinds and blind chairs off from Radix Blinds, in addition to an all-natural scent elimination product called Camo Dust, which you can get more info on at camodust.com. As for the blinds, Nate actually spent a lot of time in one of the soft-sided Radix Blinds this season, and he was more than happy with how that worked out for him. If you're interested in anything they have to offer, you can send them a message to their Facebook page, RG Outdoors, email them at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com, or again, just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Also, don't forget about Grandpa Ray Outdoors. We're about to the food plot season, about planting season here for that. Now, Grandpa Ray Outdoors, they specialize in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They offer a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. Grandpa Ray Outdoors was started in 2015, but John up there has been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991. With over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, you're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for. They've got fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it, they've got it. They're not just about selling their products, though. They're going to answer any questions you have about what would what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. Like us, John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. They're going to treat you and your situation individually. They're not about a fancy label or package either. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. We've used their seed blends on client properties all over the Midwest, even out as far as Kansas, as far south as Tennessee, and we've used it on our own properties as well, and the results have always been as good as advertised. That's why we're going to continue to use their seed, and that's why we partnered with them on the podcast. So to support us and get yourself some good seed, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use discount code RHO Podcast. That's all lowercase, no spaces, and you get 5% off your order there. You guys can also check our website out, RidgeHunterOutdoors.com. Find anything you like on there. Use the discount code RHOPOD. That's all caps, no spaces, and you'll get 10% off of anything on there. Also, follow us on Apple Podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're going to have some cool content coming out on that soon. As planting season does roll around, subscribe, comment on any of the videos on there, like them, and you can also follow us on Spotify. So, all that being said, here is Steve Shirk for episode number 71. This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is episode number 71 here with Steve Shirk this week. We're excited to have him back on. He's actually been on 
three episodes with us before, uh, number 19, 28, and 40. If you need an intro to him, go back and check out number 19. That's kind of where we got into his past and how we got into where he's at now. Uh, he's currently writing for North American Whitetail, and he runs Steve um, Shirk's Guide Service as well out in Pennsylvania. So, Steve, how's it going, man? We're glad to have, back out, have you back on. Yeah, doing real well. It's glad to, glad to hear back from you guys. Yeah, man, it's been a while, so um, it's good to have you back on. We always like our returning guests, of course, and you've been one of our favorites, too. So well, we appreciate you. you coming back on. So obviously the season wrapped up. I guess when does Pennsylvania season actually end? Is it middle of January? Yeah, if you consider, uh, you know, our late season, you know, obviously it is part of the season. A lot of people don't really uh, get involved with it, but right. our – Late archery and it's called flintlock muzzleloader usually ends sometime mid January. Okay, yeah, we so some of the counties in Illinois still have a like a late winter antlerless season. Used to it used to be all over the state, but now it like yep. runs into some counties have it, some don't. But it's same kind of the same way. A lot of guys don't even hunt late season after even November. A lot of guys quit for the first yep. couple of weeks of December for sure. But so. How'd your season go, man? I know with the guide service and then for you personally, how'd everything turn out? Yeah, it was still overall a successful season. It was more of a up and down season than usual. Um, we had a lot of really warm weather through, you know, like the first two weeks of November, which can, you know, be a really good time usually for us. So mm -hmm. things were a little bit slow in that early part of November. And then, uh, you know, towards the tail end of our archery season and and even guiding, we, we actually had most of our success, uh, cause our archery ends mid, uh, mid November. The best success we had was actually, uh, like the last, uh, about the last 10 days of archery, really? just because for the most part, we finally got, got some good cold stretches of weather and things really took off, but, uh, we got some really nice bucks last year. Um, uh, I would say even maybe a little bit better than usual. Some years we kill more bucks, but size wise, uh, it was one of our better years. So, uh, definitely, uh, like I said, it was, was definitely successful. We're happy. We're just hoping for a little bit better rut over our way this next coming season. Yeah, for sure. That's actually, you mentioned that you saw a little bit better bucks this year. We've kind of been noticing that around here, probably the last two, three years, the number of bucks, have been like we've had seasons where we've had more bucks although that seems to be consistently rising as well but like the the number of quality bucks seems to be rising yeah i think around here it has a lot to do with land management being coming more or like deer management becoming more popular and guys are trying exactly. to grow the age class of deer i mean we're still not like iowa where there's a decent number of like four and a half five and a half year old deer uh, we're st yep. like I'm still considering four and a half to be really mature deer around here for us, but we're getting to see more and more though. So I don't know if is that kind of what you guys are seeing out there. I know Pennsylvania is really high hunting pressure, probably one of the highest hunting pressured states, you know, in the Midwest or East, I guess, yep. however you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we're seeing the exact same results here. I think what it really is is kind of like a nationwide trend of uh, more and more people are or, uh, emphasizing, you know, better deer management. And then definitely, uh, mature buck hunting is probably at an all time high. Like there's more and more people kind of swaying their focus towards hunting mature deer versus any deer. And then you look at social media and, you know, it, that kind of has an effect on people's mindsets and, you know, mm -hmm. what they're looking for. And, 
uh, it really is just evolving. And I think more and more hunters every year kind of changing their ways. And if, if everyone is, you know, more focused on taking bigger deer, mature deer, then you're going to, you know, that's, that's something that some people that, especially in Pennsylvania, because we have these antler restrictions, like Mm -hmm. what a lot of people thought was going to happen was there would be less mature deer because that's all people would be shooting. But then people forget that you're letting all these younger deer get older and grow bigger antlers, obviously. Right. So it has a bigger effect when more people are focused on mature deer because all those younger deer are getting bigger. And that's what we're seeing here. Exactly. Yeah. Once you raise your average age class, you start to see that. And like you said, you'll see more of those mature deer and there's only so many to shoot, you know, especially in the yep. beginning. And then not only that, your success rate on a four and a half year old deer or three and a half year old deer, even in places is way lower than if you're just shooting a year and a half, two and a half year old deer. So you're not probably not harvesting quite as many bucks either. At least you shouldn't be if you're, if you're hunting mature bucks, most of the time, I wouldn't think. Yep. That's exactly right. And even uh, like I hunt New York also, and some years I'll focus more on mature deer most years honestly i i'll take a two and a half year old over there just for the fact that there's just not a a lot of mature deer where i hunt Mm -hmm. and sometimes limited time and i just want some meat for the freezer and especially uh, it's hard to get non-resident doe tags over there so but this year you know i said no i'm gonna hold off for a mature deer over there and it never happened but that's the first time since 2004 that I didn't fill my buck tag over there, but my point is, is if I wasn't focused on mature deer, I wouldn't have had a problem. I passed up 13 different bucks, but that's, that's the key. And that's what happens is you're hunting a completely different animal when you're focused on these older deer and Mm -hmm. your, your success rate starts to drop. Yeah. And that's uh, something that Nate actually ran into this year on his property. He had three, four and a half year old deer and had they been you know, big enough antler wise, he probably would have taken one of them, but he had opportunities at a couple of them. He just wanted to let them go till the five and a half year old yep. age class. It's not that he didn't have the opportunities, but, and that's kind of yep. something you have to adjust your goals when you're doing it. But the other thing I was going to say is, uh, when you're talking about maturity too, that's all relative. Cause I know there's places in like Michigan, for example, or I'm, I'm sure even Pennsylvania and like New York, where you're talking about where three and a half year old buck is a trophy buck. Like, yep. I think if you look at it, Maybe it was Bill Winky described it like like this. If you're if you're consistently killing bucks that are like one year older than everybody else, so like if yeah. the average bucks two and a half, and you're looking for a three and a half, then that's a trophy buck in that area. That makes that makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. So that's all relative as well. I totally agree. Definitely. Yep. Um. So did you have success in Pennsylvania yourself this year? Did you have one you were yes. after and, and found him or was it one you didn't um, know about? Yeah, kind of a, I will say I, I shot my buck on November 12th, which would have been, I, w- I probably would have had one more day to hunt Pennsylvania archery. So it was kind of one of those things and it's not a deer I regret shooting. I think it was a four and a half year old, eight point, not a, not a super high scoring deer. It wasn't, uh, a deer that, you know, that was on the top of my list, but mm-hmm. you know, where we come from and you kind of touched on it, like I hunt all public land, uh, all big woods, mountainous terrain. Mm-hmm. So any, mature deer are hard to pass as it is. And it was a deer that I was getting a lot of Intel with, uh, at that particular spot. That was probably the deer that I was expecting to see. And, uh, I told myself if that deer came by, 
being, you know, in a little bit older age class. Mm-hmm. I know in some states, you know, people are more focused on five or six year olds, but honestly, even a three and a half where we come from is, is a pretty good deer. So to shoot anything older than that is still something that I think most hunters should consider. And if they do feel happy about, so, uh, it was towards the tail end of my season and, uh, a deer came by. I mean, my mind was made, uh, really, I didn't even have to give it a second thought. I knew it was, mm-hmm. was a, was a deer that it wasn't probably gonna, gonna get, uh, you know, that I wouldn't be unsatisfied with to say the least. So, uh, yeah, I filled my tag. Uh, it definitely, it was definitely, you know, I felt just as rewarding shooting that deer as almost any other. So I'm still happy about it. I got a nice European mount made and Mm -hmm. he's high up in my basement and I'm still smiling. There you go. Yeah. I'm all (laughs) about the, I'll shoot me personally. And this is like, everybody's different, obviously what they're looking for, but I would rather shoot that 130 inch five and a half year old deer than the 150 inch three and a half year old deer where we're at exactly you know because like, yep. that's just what i'm what i'm what i'm after i guess i don't necessarily have to hunt for meat so yep like that's not something i i have to do so if i see that five and a half year old deer to me that's a trophy whether he's got big antlers or not and i just Absolutely. i like the challenge of hunting those older deer they kind of get more set in their ways and I guess smarter for lack of a better term because they get used to the hunting pressure and you know they're just harder to harder to even find let alone shoot so to me that's that's a trophy to me for sure yep I totally agree like I I feel like uh because I'm I'm definitely all about making things you know a little bit more challenging and Mm -hmm. taking you know taking older deer and there's there's no difference whether you shoot a, you know, a four or five year old, 120, 130 inch deer or a deer of the same age class that scores 20 or 30 inches more, it still takes just as much skill and you should feel just as much of a reward killing either of those deer because just because a deer, you know, isn't a Boone and Crockett caliber, but he's older, doesn't mean he's any less harder to kill. So, uh, you know, uh, that's the way I feel. And like I said, it sometimes when you, you know, you, you put inches in too big of a perspective and we, we forget about, uh, what these animals truly are. And I mean, I'm not against, you know, also holding out it for, if you have 160 Mm -hmm. inch deer, but you know, once again, I, I just think a mature deer is a huge accomplishment no matter where you hunt throughout the country or the world. And it's a hard deer to pass anywhere. It is. It is. And even like in those places in like let's say southeastern Iowa where where you are seeing a higher number at least of four and a half plus year old deer they're yep. still not easy to kill right they're still not uh-huh. behind every tree so yep. and especially out like in the big woods where you're at that's something I I'd mentioned on uh, one of our last podcasts we did is I think I was talking about different properties set up and patterning deer when you're hunting the big woods it's not as easy patterning those deer I wouldn't think as like where we're at where you've got fence rows and blocks of timber and a lot of ag there's only so many places they're going to move in certain areas but when you're talking the big woods and the mountains like what's stuff that you're looking for and what are some challenges that you run into with that because we do have some big timber around here especially uh, south of us there's a pretty Mm -hmm. good shawnee national forest is is probably similar to what you're dealing with not quite the altitude but what are some challenges you have with that and then like some things that you see as far as if there's any way you can pattern those deer Sure. Um, yeah. The thing about here is every year is completely different. You know, we don't have, uh, any ag, uh, 
it's all just just forced mm-hmm. and um so you're also not allowed i mean you're not allowed to bait you can't you can't do anything to the forest or habitat that might either benefit the deer or even possibly make things easier or you know right. help you have success so there's every year is going to be a little bit different because the, the woods are changing uh things are growing things are getting old there's you might have acorns one year then no acorns the next you got areas getting logged one year you know versus the year before they weren't so there's just so many different variables that mm-hmm. that kind of come into play each season so even if you you might have a ton of success two or three years in a row and then all of a sudden you get a year when things completely change and you got to be able to adjust so you know i what i really the best way to kind of put it into place is honestly they're really there's rarely ever a whole lot of a pattern to, to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's just a lot more, uh, woodsmanship, uh, big woods hunting requires a lot more patience. And honestly, I don't want to say more skill, but at least a different kind of skill For sure. level. I think you have to be more in tune to, you know, how deer travel, uh, you know, and even the biology of deer and you really have to get to know them better. Uh, but these deer, honestly, like, they especially they make their rounds a lot and uh you just what i what i have a lot of success doing is is especially through trail cameras is i start to learn deer not so much the first year you locate a buck but once you start to develop some history with these deer you start mapping out their home range Mm -hmm. you know you kind of pay attention to you know it seems like this time of year this buck is coming through this area and so you start to get an idea of what some of these deer are doing from an individual standpoint. And that's where you kind of start to hone in a little bit more. And, you know, and if it's the rut, then you kind of dial in on these areas and try to pay more attention to what the does are doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's early season, you start to try to pinpoint their bedding patterns a little bit more. Our deer do not come out into, into food sources a lot uh, in the daytime. It, it, bedding areas have been a bigger key here and have, provided more success for me than anything else mm-hmm. but it's but just to kind of get to the point is at least for me in my experience there's never rarely ever a situation like okay this buck is popping out on this oak ridge every night right before dark like right there, you don't see a lot of s- strict pattern to their movements but you start to just kind of keep throwing the dice out there and just hope you get in front of them because you know it every now and then or eventually that deer comes through this area that's kind of how you have to hunt right so it's like you know he's using that area he's not using it consistently but he's going to use it again at some point exactly you just kind of have to put yourself in the places that you know he's been yep and i think you hit on something there like if you take me and like if i go out there where you're hunting at i'm going to struggle for a while and i think a lot of guys it's just different like you said a different skill set and i would say a lot of times there are a lot better hunters that have to do what you're doing. Like you develop, you have to be way more honed in, I think on what the deer are doing and how they prefer to move through that kind of terrain. And that's not to say you can, that skill set automatically translates to where we're at. But I think the learning curve would be bigger for someone from the Midwest going out and hunting where you're at, as opposed to someone like you coming out and hunting the Midwest, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing about here is I always say is like a lot of times, really, for the most part, 
unless you know conditions are right maybe it's the heat of the right you seem to have more sits here where you don't see anything mm-hmm. and it's not like you know not that i i, I don't even have experience hunting like cornfields or bean fields but from what i see like on tv and that is like you can almost always see deer in a lot of mm-hmm. these sits sure at least it seems like like for us it's completely different so the hard part is like knowing am i doing things right when i've hunted a week and haven't seen a deer right it make you start to question yourself but then throughout time um and throughout many years of experience you you know that there's certain things that you're looking for like you know sign and and just like i kind of brought up before uh learning how some of these bucks are coming through certain areas and you're kind of just banking on on those things versus like if you were to just come here for your first time and you'd say you said you're going to hunt here seven days and you've hunted five days already and haven't seen a deer mm-hmm. i think you'd start to question what you're doing yeah but yet that can be very normal that's a very normal situation but to go through those periods of of kind of wondering but yet you also know that you're doing everything right and just to continue to do that mm-hmm. that's where that that experience really starts to kick in and and you and you develop that confidence no matter if you're seeing deer or whatever you just know that you're doing things right and eventually something's going to happen yeah it's a different mental game for sure and like where we're at our deer numbers are almost getting to the point where they're going to get too high again so mm-hmm. like if i want to go and sit and just see deer i can ha- like I have spots where I can go. I could shoot a doe anytime I sit, right? I may not be a mature buck, but, and I can go and see deer. I'm not going to sit for a week without seeing a deer just around here where we're at. Now there's places out here in the Midwest where that is the case. Like there are some places that are tough to hunt for sure. And I'm not saying any of it's easy, but like you're saying where we're at, we're pretty blessed to have at least the deer numbers where we can go and at least keep your attention. And it does help with that mental game is, far as you know keeping yourself focused because at any time that second doe could be that five and a half year old buck that you're after exactly yep and and that's something in in itself too though you do get i think you get used to what you get used to so if you're sitting out there and you you are just seeing does and that's not what you're after at that particular time it can almost be like not seeing any deer because you're not seeing that deer you're wanting to hunt and then you start questioning the kind of the same thing where's he at why am i not seeing him i'm in all these deer you know, it, it becomes a mental game there too, but it would definitely exactly. be a different experience not seeing any deer. And like, <laughs> I, like I said, I know there's guys around not very far from us a ways, but not, not incredibly far that do have that occasionally where they'll go, you know, three or four days without seeing deer, but it's definitely yep. not as prevalent as it is where you're at. So that is for sure a different game. You kind of yep, mentioned, no. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to add on to that. Like it, I would say in my area, you know, you can be the smartest, most passionate hunter, but it's more of a mental game as far as like, uh, being tough minded, uh, not getting frustrated, like being able to overcome those mental obstacles is going to give you more success than anything else. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of mentioned like, as far as the pattern goes, if there is any at all, it's kind of knowing where learning a specific deer. So obviously you're using trail cameras for that a lot. Are you still yep. running your trail cameras right now? Like how much Intel are you taking with your cameras year round or is it just certain months of the year? We may have talked about this on a previous episode, but I definitely want to hit on it. Again. Yeah, it's okay. 
Yeah, uh, I don't. We don't run as many this time of year. I mean, last year we ran <clears throat> up to 170 uh, in hunting season, but I'd say right now we got to have close to 100 out. Yeah. Um, it's a really it's a tricky time of year to get the right intel because we're mainly just focused on on mature deer, and most of our deer actually this year dropped earlier than usual. They shed like. Uh, Honestly, most of them shed mid to late December. So really, it's really, yeah, it's really hard to, to gain, uh, Intel on certain bucks when without those antlers, it's just so hard to tell who's who. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, as far as why we're leaving cameras out right now, um, for a couple reasons is <clears throat> a lot of our areas are just hard to get to. That might be an hour walk and rather than, you know, trying to find time to, get that camera and pull that camera and get it there. You know, it just seems like it's easier to leave it there year round and, and it's there that way you never have to worry, you know, all of a sudden it's two weeks before hunting season and you're never able to get that camera in there. Mm-hmm. So there, it, it, for that situation, plus uh, we have a lot of spots where, and really just anywhere that we have felt that if we leave that camera on that tree, the deer just get used to it after a while. So, mm-hmm. And plus you can just stay out of these areas. But if you, you know, so we, we try to leave a lot, leave more out than, than, you know, than pull, pulled away. But yeah. I did pull more than usual this year, just for the simple fact that batteries are getting so expensive. And I thought just because of the winter, you know, there's when you use the most batteries because it's cold. Mm-hmm. I pulled, you know, a decent amount that I felt I wasn't going to get as much Intel and, and just to honestly save on batteries for the most part. Yeah. So what percentage of those, or is it all of them that you're running cell cameras now? Or any oh, of them? geez. We, yeah. We only ran about five or six cell cameras last year. And it's not that, that I don't like cell cameras, but we're talking real remote country with very little cell reception. Mm-hmm. And, and really though, the thing about cell cameras, at least the everything I've tried, it's not like you can get like one little bar and, and it'll always work. A lot of these cameras, you need a fairly good amount of mm-hmm. cell reception and it's just really hard to find in a lot of our areas so we don't run a lot of cell cameras just for that reason but we have a few spots that cell cameras work well and i would run more of them if i could but it's just unfortunate where we're at yeah i just started running my first <clears throat> i think i ran three of them this year's the first three i've ever ran and i actually have a spot one of my better spots that I don't get a lot of cell service out there either, if any at all, in places. And I got so frustrated trying to put this cell camera up. I moved, <laughs> was moving from tree to tree and, like, trying different spots and moving the antenna, turn it off, turn it on. And finally, yep. it was at, like, one bar, and I just left it. I was like, whatever, if it works, it works. If not, I'll just use it as a regular camera for now. Yeah. And yep. I and it ended up working okay. Uh, but I can definitely see where that would be an issue in certain places where – Used, oh, if you don't have any service, like you said, with certain ones, if you don't have good service, it's not going to work. But I, I do think they are a pretty good tool. Like I've, especially for like a really recent information. Obviously, if you're going yep. and pulling cards every week, you only having the information. Maybe there was something there yesterday, but you also might have seen something that was there on Monday that you could have capitalized on. Whereas yep. those cell cameras will help you out a little bit. And there's actually a lot of legislation now. In out west, there's like no trail cameras being used at all. And then yep. there was one state recently closer to home that they they dis maybe it was Kansas even you can't use them on public land anymore. So I don't. What's your yeah. thoughts on that? What like as far as the use of trail cameras? And do you think 
Like, do you think it's an issue or? Um, I mean, I really can't speak for those areas for sure. However, from what I know, and I, and just based on my experiences, I, I think it is absolutely ridiculous. Um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, in fact, I did a post on social media the other day about this, but you know, one simple thing that I found is, uh, with kids, like my, my son, one of the only ways I can get him to come with me in the woods is to go check a camera because, yep. you know, kids, they're, they're more into technology than what we were. Like if, oh, yeah. if there's not an iPad involved or a cell phone, <laughs> I mean, it's yep. not as interesting. So they connect to that, to that type of gadget better. And then to be able to like, you know, use it and see, you know, what the deer do or, you know, see pictures. Like to me, it, it, it's definitely a, a, a tool that you're going to have more youth getting involved, but then also like, and at least where we hunt, it's not like you get a picture of a deer right now and then you go in and kill it. Like, right. To, to be honest with you, like if I get a picture of a buck, I, I, I can't say like on that particular day or maybe even the day after I've ever killed one because of that picture. Now I will say I've killed deer that, okay, last week he showed up in this spot three different times. Mm -hmm. But the way I look at it is if I wasn't running these cameras, I feel like I would be less of a hunter as far as a management standpoint because these cameras help me focus more on hunting more mature deer, which I believe, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to say that that you have to do that, but I do think for the health of a herd in every area, I think that's that's the way to go. So when you're able to target specific animals and learn about them and focus on them versus like, you know, just shooting anything that's out there because you don't, I mean, yeah, you might see some big buck sign, but really you don't know what's running through your woods in a lot of places without cameras. So to me, I feel like there's way, way more benefits and positives coming from running cameras than the negatives. Like I, I feel like there's, you know, there's, there's the, some people have just got a, a bad taste for them or haven't really thought it out thoroughly that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's no perfect thing in this world in, in any aspect of life. Like there's going to be positives and negatives yep. from any situation. But to me, I see the good outweighing the bad a, a lot. Like there's way more good that comes from trail cameras than bad. And I think that that should be considered. Yep. I completely agree. And I think the, probably the issue is like a lot of other things, the people that are proponents of this legislation and are bringing it down have never had any experience with even using a trail camera or being in the outdoors kind of thing, but not to get too far into that. Like you said, like if you're sitting out there for a week and you don't see a deer and you don't have cameras out there where you know that there's a decent number of deer and there's, bucks that you would like to take mature deer yep. the chances of you shooting the first thing that walks by go way up and it's, oh, absolutely. especially that's public ground all over the country wherever guys are hunting if they're not able to run cameras like you said maybe they see sign but okay is that just one buck that's running this whole yep. thousand acres of public ground i'm gonna probably shoot the first thing that comes by and fill that tag especially if i'm let's say like in illinois it can get extremely expensive to hunt out of state so if you come hunt one of our public grounds here in illinois and you don't know that there's like 
big deer in your area, like obviously you yeah. come here because you know there's big deer, but if you don't have the ability to scout with those cameras and see, like I think your your likelihood of shooting that three and a half year old deer even goes way up. And I think that is probably a detriment to the overall herd health because yep. like their whole goal is to advance the age class as well. Like that's what deer are trying to do to you know, yeah. to keep the species going. So if we're killing all the young deer, I don't think I don't see how that could be a good thing, you know. Absolutely not. And another thing too is think of the the amount of increased passion and desire for hunters when they actually know what they're hunting. Yeah. Um, like to me, I get a picture of a deer in a certain area, my amount of interest, excitement, everything increases dramatically yep. and to me like and especially in these this day and age and you know when I brought up like younger people like you don't want to be taking away from the joy of, of doing this sport in any way because there's so many other things that are pulling us yep. to, you know and we're, we're get you more involved in this sport or or maybe invo- kids getting involved in in bad things or mm-hmm. a, a hunter that's like ah, you know I don't really know if I'm really that interested but then he starts running trail cameras and sees these big deer and just starts to develop some confidence and excitement. Like I, to me, I feel like if they took all that away, it would backfire in a lot of different ways. So, um, it's just really unfortunate. I feel like there is a little bit of a minor domino effect here. I feel like more and more States are going to start, you know, creating new laws and maybe even banning cameras overall completely. And, you know, that scares me. And I think, I think in the long run, uh, there's going to be a lot of regrets for some of these states that do this because uh, it's a different day and age. It's not, you know, the 1950s or 1960s when every high school kid had a gun in his truck and he was out hunting. It's a whole different world now, and you have to keep that into perspective, and and you don't want to mess around with with the fun of it and how people are doing things if that's what's keeping them in the woods. Mm Mm-hmm. And that from their perspective, perspective, there's a lot of revenue in, in hunting, you know, for, yeah. for these states. So I would, I don't know why they would want to deter from it, but we were actually talking about it. There was an article, it may have been in North American Whitetail sometime last year about some of the states out West. And we were talking about it's kind of the same thing you just said, like, we worry that it's just going to keep moving farther East and it's eventually yep. it's not just going to be the public land guides. It's going to be private land, which I think it is in some states. I don't want to say that for sure. Uh, cause I, I can't so, pull yeah. it up here, but, and I, like you're saying, I think there's just a lot more pros than there are cons to it. Yep. No, I mean, there's so many, like, uh, just quickly too. I know we probably don't want to make this the only topic, but <laughs> that's fine. That's I fine. also think about like, uh, some of the other technology, like, you know, the, the optics that you can buy, uh, mm-hmm. how rifles and, you know, have advanced and crossbows and even compounds like, to me, those things are having a greater impact on the ethics and just, oh, yeah. and just the, the effectiveness of hunters taking more or easily taking more deer because the weapons we're using and, and the tools associated with these weapons are, it's just, I hate to say it, but it's, it's way easier to harvest a deer now than what it even was 10 years ago For sure. versus 20 or 30 years ago. So uh, I mean, crossbows shooting near 500 feet a second, if if, if I can remember right. Mm-hmm. And even, yep. even it, it doesn't even seem like you have to, you know, say if you're someone that's never even shot a compound bow before, like it's literally like you, you could pick up a compound bow and 
and be deadly accurate in a week versus it used to take people a whole summer just to get dialed in. It was a legitimate skill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not knocking down, knocking. I think all those things are pretty good as well, but, but why aren't they looking at that? Why are we, why are we saying that these trail cameras are, are unethical? And I feel like those other, those other things are, or more unethical than a stupid little trail camera. Yep, I agree because the camera's not actually killing the deer. Whereas, no. like you're saying, if you take the thirty-five hundred dollar crossbow that shoots five hundred feet a second that has the range finding scope on it, yeah, like, okay, anybody can pick that thing up and go kill a deer. And again, I'm not saying like I'm not knocking anybody who's doing that, but yep. that would seem to be more of an issue for those people. It would seem that it should be more of an issue to those people than a camera. Exactly. I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. I, so. I totally agree. So I don't, I, I hope and pray that, you know, this doesn't get any worse and, you know, maybe, maybe it's just going to be certain States. Uh, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it does get worse. So yep. we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Yep. And uh, not to beat this to death, but like with you being an outfitter and outfitters ac- across the deer hunting yep. part of the country, that's really going to affect them because so much of what they do yep. to, is, dependent on cameras as far as like even just marketing stuff. Exactly. I was just going to say like, if it wasn't for trail cameras, no one would have hardly ever given me a chance because at least, I mean, Pennsylvania is getting to be a little bit more of an attractive state, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I had no way of really proving the amount of big mature deer that, you know, lived in my area without trail cameras. I mean, if I get lucky and shoot one a year, does that really that doesn't really do a whole lot. But when I show that we've got 30 or 40 Pope and young or better deer on camera right mm-hmm. now, like that's a big deal. People are going to want to come and hunt. So, yep. but honestly, I don't, my opinions aren't based on the fact that someone would think, well, of course he's going to be against, against uh, these bands because he relies on these cameras. I, I f- honestly feel like, my points are very valid and it's not, it's not based to defend my business, but it just, it doesn't make sense what they're doing. I feel like, you know, they, some of these States should probably focus on bigger issues Mm -hmm. than, uh, than what they're, than how they're, you know, using their, their time and efforts to, to take away trail cameras. I I just think there's bigger problems that could be solved. And it's just, once again, it's sad that this even has to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll defend that for you. I know, like, I know where you're saying, um, but I'll, I'll absolutely stand up for that and those guys because that's a a way of living, and it is it is a living for a lot of people. So, but again, not yep. to not to beat that to death too much. Sure. I did mention earlier, um, you're writing for North American Whitetail. You got any articles in the works coming up for the next issue? Anything exciting coming yeah. up? It's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, not super soon, but there'll be one in the June issue. It's going to be uh, how I compile all my trail cam data um, and how I use some of it going into the next season, but also what data I kind of throw away. Like, you know, you might, uh, for instance, I, I kind of touched on this earlier, but I try to relate the you know, the weather and, and mm-hmm. different, different factors from season to season. So for instance, this past season, we had drought conditions. We had a lot of warm weather. Uh, we also didn't have any mass crop. So if that, if that environment isn't 
very similar going into the next season, then honestly, a lot of my trail cam data in certain areas probably won't be that useful because our deer or you know, unless it, once again, unless it is the same, but it's likely mm-hmm. going to be different. So if it is different, our deer are going to be doing a lot of different things uh, that, you know, those stands that produced last season probably aren't going to produce again. Mm-hmm. But I'll also point out some things that, you know, I still can take from all that data and, you know, that will be good, you know, and useful. So I, and, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot more to it than that, but, uh, I think right. it's going to be a pretty cool article. Um, and it's definitely at a unique time when it just seems like now that we have all these trail camera bands, it just seems just people are really more interested in hearing more about trail cameras. So, uh, it's a big topic. I think can be brought out at the right time. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, I think a lot of people are going to like reading that article. Yeah, it's definitely relevant for sure. What is like your, your writing process for them? So especially when you're writing about like, let's say some strategy stuff, are you yep. just like pulling back from experience in your mind or are you like taking notes in the field? And then like, mm-hmm. what, what inspires those? Is it like you're sitting in the stand and you think, you like you see something or if you've experienced something over the last month and you think if I wrote an article about this, I think it would be helpful to people. What's kind of like your process and what all goes into that? Yeah, actually you, you really hit the nail on the head. So I try to throughout, throughout an entire year, it might not just be hunting season, but at least me and I know probably you're the same and a lot of other guys, but, uh, I, deer hunting never ends. Like there's mm-hmm. always something to do in the deer woods. So there's just different things that come across my mind or different things that I learn. Or sometimes, uh, I'll even talk about my failures and that too. Mm -hmm. But every season I try to think of like, what were the highlights of my season? Uh, as far as what I learned or what went right, what went wrong. And then I, I will send a lot of those ideas to the editors and, uh, you know, they'll pick out however many they want per year. I think I got three or four for sure that I'm going to be doing this coming year. Sometimes though, uh, they'll, you know, they'll tell me they, uh, they got three or four for me that they, that they want me to do, but then they'll be like, Oh, nope, now we want more. Right. We'll, we'll take these two other ideas. So, uh, it's hard to say every year, you know, how many articles I will write, but mm-hmm. it's usually at least three per year. Um, but yeah, it's all usually based on what I learn every year. It's, I kind of like doing it that way because my mind is a little bit more fresh Yeah. versus like, you know, some guys are really good at talking about what they did 20 years ago. Yeah. Like in 1991, I, think, I sat on this yeah. fence row. Yeah. But, but I just feel like in my opinion, people like to hear a little bit more about, you know, what is working recently because even hunting strategy and, and, you know, we touched on gear, like everything's evolving and changing every year. So, I feel like the fresher information is is more enjoyable to the reader, so that's really what I do. No doubt. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I was pretty interested in that. I don't know if anybody else will be, but I, I like to get an idea of what, you know, how guys are doing what they do, so. Yeah. Hey, man, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so we'll, I'll get you out of here. Again, appreciate you okay. coming on. As far as, like, your uh, socials, where can people find you on there? Yep, you can find me at Instagram or Facebook, uh, Shirk's Guide Service, S-H-E-R-K apostrophe S, Guide Service. Um, feel free, if uh, if you don't know me, to to give me a like or a follow and definitely shoot me a message. Uh, I, I do a lot of 
you know, especially this time of year when I'm not as busy, I'll, I'll do a lot of just random uh, question answering from people all over the country. It's su- surprising, you know, mm-hmm. how many people uh, through th- social media these days, how many friends you can have from different places. But uh, people, people know, I mean, not to brag, but that I'm an, you know, just a well-known, experienced, knowledgeable hunter that mm-hmm. loves to share, you know, all of my experiences and my knowledge. So I really enjoy trying to help people and answer questions if I can. Sometimes I don't have an answer, but uh, definitely worth uh, at least let me know how you feel and what you're thinking. And uh, I appreciate uh, everyone that that follows me and gives me support, to say the least. Yeah, and from just following you, me personally, I will say it's definitely worth giving you a follow on Instagram for sure because (laughs) I enjoy all the stuff you post. and, And so many, so much of the time, guys that are posting on Instagram, it's just a picture of a big rack and then like, look at me. Right. Whereas I think what you're doing is it tends to be on the more educational side as well. A lot of times. Yep. No, that's what I I love to do. That's kind of, kind of touches in part of, you know, why I like writing. I actually do, you know, seminars. I do uh, scouting classes. So Mm -hmm. I I guess I probably should have went to school for teaching, but I don't really (laughs) think there's any degrees and whitetail hunting because that's about the only thing i like to teach about so but if there if there was that somewhere i'd probably quit what i'm doing now and just be a teacher (laughs) yeah i I definitely like people like that more as well because you know there are people out there that are like i'm the greatest hunter and you'll never be as good as me and i'm not going to tell you how i got here you know i I much prefer the guys that are trying to give back and help get more people into it make everybody more successful because the more the more guys we have that are in hunting and gals and are having more success, they're going to want to do it more often and pass it down from generation. And then that's exactly. how we how we get more people on our side. And it's how we keep those that legislation that hurts us from getting made in the first place. I think there's definitely yep. power in numbers um, of of good hunters out there. So totally yeah. agree. So and uh, we, we think alike. Yeah. Do you, do you have a website for Shirks Guide Service as well? Not anymore. Um, okay. I I will say uh, just because my social media is it's gotten quite a decent following over the years that it, the amount of uh, messages, emails, phone calls, texts, like, and plus I have another business, a landscaping business. Like mm-hmm. it was all just getting too overwhelming for me. And I'm not that great when it comes to website management. So I, hear you. I ended up just getting rid of the website, just, you know, and focusing on the social media, but uh, it's easy to get information from me. Uh, I, Unless it's hunting season, I usually get back to people through social media the same day they contact me. So mm-hmm. if there's anyone, whether it's if you're interested in a hunt or, uh, like I said, just just a question or getting to know me, uh, shoot me a message. And uh, I'll be more than surprised if you don't hear from me soon. Yeah, that, I think one of the last times we had you on, you were already booked up for hunts for the next season. So you still got open hunts for this year if guys want to book hunts or are we looking like maybe two years out? Um, no, actually this year we are expanding. Um, the issue I was having was our, our main camp was, is about 20 miles from my house. And so what we were finding is because my dad stays there with them and cooks and all that, but I wasn't, I was having a difficult time being at camp and, you know, being associated with, with a lot of the hunters and, Mm -hmm. and really people, when you're, when you're the main guide, like they want to get to know you. They, they want to tell you about their hunt every day. Yep. And it was, with my son being in sports and it's just been getting harder and harder for me to stay in contact with these people well enough. So my neighbor 
right beside me ended up building a really beautiful camp. And he said, you know, if you want to uh, uh, put some of your clients in here, feel free to. So this year I decided to expand my business and uh, it's kind of one of those things like the people that like staying with my dad will continue to stay there. But a lot of these other people are going to stay with me. So we're going to be taking on more hunters since we have two camps. So right now, I would be completely full, like one camp is full, but because we have two, uh, I still have uh, still have quite a few spots uh, available. Cool. Well, maybe we can help you out with that. So if you guys yeah, are interested in it, for sure, check him out, Shirk's Guide Service, like he said. Steve, it was a pleasure talking to you, as always. A lot of fun. Uh, thanks for coming back on, man. No, my, my pleasure. Like I said, uh, I've always enjoyed talking to you guys. Uh, I've listened to you, and... Uh, it, it, uh, you definitely fit right in with who I am. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. That's what we're, what we're trying to do. Hopefully there's a lot of people out there like that, but I'll let you get out of here. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, Steve. All right. Take care. God bless. Yep. See ya. All right. Bye-bye.